This is Archive Atlanta, episode 43, Peters and Hurt. You're listening to Archive Atlanta, a history podcast where each week I'll be sharing a story about the people, places, and events that shape the history of the city of Atlanta. I'm your host, local tour guide, and total history nerd, Victoria Lamos. Hey everyone, happy Friday. This week, I have a story about two men, one from the north, one from the south, one came from humble beginnings, one from a prominent family. Both would shape the city of Atlanta from its infancy, affecting the way its citizens traveled, lived, and leaving legacies that we all experience today. Both names dot the streets and parks of Atlanta, and one is rumored to be the inspiration for the infamous Rhett Butler. Atlanta is a transportation city, created from being the end of the railroad line. So today, its ties to transportation are still strong. We have the world's busiest airport, if you've not been in there and experienced that. The white, usually northern men, nicknamed carpetbaggers, that came to the city before it was even named such, um, they would become what we call the fathers of Atlanta. Most of them purchased large swaths of cheap land, later developing them when the city's population boomed. Today, I want to talk about two of these men. Richard Peters, and Joel Hurt. With a 40-year age gap, they weren't exactly peers, yet Peters set the stage for ideas that Hurt would take inspiration from, and each man's legacy still remains in Atlanta today. It's easy to fall into the trap of thinking about historical people in isolation, like this guy did XYZ, but it adds a lot more layers when you can think about who was living at the same time, working at the same time, you know, who else was racing to build, to develop, to put their name on things. Um, and so I, when I looked at these two men together, it gave me an extra layer of understanding the city. Almost all of these contributions that these early Atlanta men made were for selfish reasons, which I'm going to explain a little bit later, um, yet they made a public impact. I spoke about Richard Peters briefly in episode 27, which was on Nellie Peters Black. Yes, there is a relation. Uh, he is her father. And I set the stage for Nellie's story with some explanation about how prominent her family history was. And this prominence was definitely from her mother and her father's side. Richard Peters' grandfather was a judge and an associate of George Washington, and his father was a reporter of decisions for the Supreme Court. Richard himself was born in 1810 in Germantown, Pennsylvania, and educated in Philadelphia. It was in that city that he began working as a surveyor on the railroad, his work impressed, and by 1834, he was offered a job as chief engineer constructing the new Georgia Railroad. The best thing that I read that I just did not think about was that he actually traveled first to Augusta, Georgia, and it would take eight years to complete the track to the new town of Marthasville. He literally built his way to this new frontier town. If you listen to episode four about Grant Park, you'll know that L.P. Grant was also a railroad engineer. So he and Peters would become very close friends over this period. Once the track reached Atlanta, Richard was then named superintendent of the railroad. And it was actually he who got us renamed. Marthasville was never popular. It's long. It's hard to write on paperwork. It's also a little country sounding. Um, so he conferred with his former um, Pennsylvania Railroad boss who suggested Atlanta. And then he kind of ran with it. Before even getting approval, he actually sent out circulars or flyers all around with the name Atlanta and then it was officially changed in 1845. As all railroad men did, Peters bought up large swaths of land in this new city. But the reasons he bought this land was a little different from others. 
His first enterprise was a steam-powered flour mill over where the Capitol building is today. Steam power at that time was a very modern and novel concept, but after about a year, he had to switch to burning wood. So he goes out, way out, to the current-day Midtown, and he purchases 405 acres of land to cut down the trees to supply the wood to burn. So there you have it, Midtown. You started off as a lumber lot. Another fun fact is that his flour mill was actually used um, as housing and protection for many families that were unable to flee the city when the Civil War reached its borders. There's oral histories of families that did not have um, a place to kind of huddle or hide in their on their property, and they would hide in this flour mill. Today we have Uber, but early Atlantans that weren't riding a horse um, or in their own wagon were riding a stagecoach. Before our city was a blip on the radar, a popular stagecoach line would take Decaturites to Marietta. Peters operated a stagecoach line that was between Atlanta and Montgomery. And this is Montgomery, Alabama, which, by the way, was actually kind of the capital of the slave trade. So I think a lot of people were going between these two cities. In 1866, the Georgia General Assembly passes an act to incorporate the Atlanta Street Railway Company, which was headed by previous podcast characters, John Thrasher and Dr. Westmoreland. Essentially, they couldn't get the company off the ground. They didn't agree on paving requirements or taxes or pretty much anything. So company never took off. And five years later, the company would be sold to George Adair and Richard Peters. The two would name it the Atlanta Street Railway Company. Now, these guys did not have disagreements or business issues. Um, They were just on it. And so the same year that they purchased it, the first horse-powered streetcar on tracks ran from then Whitehall Street um, to Mitchell Street, Forsyth Street, Trinity, and Peters. The line ended at the McPherson Barracks, which was a garrison where the federal troops were staying during Reconstruction. So now that area is actually where Spelman College is. By 1872, they had run a second line, which headed up Marietta Street. A few months after that, it was Decatur Street to Oakland Cemetery. Long story short, big success. Peters and his partner had bought the first public transportation system to Atlanta. And his accomplishments would not stop there, but he also had some failures. In the 1880s, Peters had an idea to build the first suburb of Atlanta. Going in with his fellow carpetbagger, Hannibal Kimball, They would take around 200 acres in Midtown and build the first neighborhood. So remember, a city proper, miles away, and this land would need roads, housing, and transportation. They hired landscape architect Nathan Barrett, who was nationally renowned at the time, and the development was initially called just Model Suburban Town. Simple and direct. It was a novel concept to have development. Um, It seems weird, but in these times, you purchase your land and you, the homeowner, are responsible for clearing the land and constructing the house. To have a company prepping the land for you and getting your house ready, it, it was kind of weird for people. Of these 200 acres, about 142 would consist of home lots and then the rest were streets and parks. Coincidentally, the neighborhood would be accessible via the Petrie Street or Marietta Street horse trolley lines, which were owned by Richard Peters. Amazing coincidence. Um, By 1885, $50,000 had been spent improving the neighborhood in anticipation of lots just flying off the shelf. But guess what? Nobody really bought any. They only sold a few. And historians have looked at this. Um, The streetcar was accessible, but it was a very long walk from the homes to the route. Lot prices were very high and building restrictions were very, very rigid. Two years later, Peters would donate four acres of this failed development to the emerging Georgia School of Technology. You may know it now as Georgia Tech. 
Later on, he would sell more land to the school, and then he did create a very small neighborhood um, right around Hemp Hill Avenue. It was just called Hemp Hill Avenue Neighborhood. That would be swallowed up by the Georgia Tech campus pretty soon after that. Now, don't feel bad for Peter, as he did go on to develop Midtown Atlanta, and the street names that you see today are influenced by him. If you've ever been down Penn Avenue, that is a nod to his home state. As a white man in the antebellum South, it is not surprising that Peters was a slave owner. His Atlanta home listed five people as his property and 16 at his farmland in Gordon County. On the eve of the Civil War, however, Richard Peters was against secession. He was a northern man, and he claims that Southerners did not have the global outlook to realize that the entire civilized world was opposed to slavery. It was this attitude, um, along with the fact that he established a blockade during the war, that started rumors that Peters was Margaret Mitchell's inspiration for her character of Rhett Butler. And yes, an episode about Gone with the Wind is long overdue, but many people believe that all of the characters in her book were inspired by real people, even though she's insisted that they weren't. Now, Joel Hurt was born in 1850 in Hurtsboro, Alabama. He attended what was then the Auburn Methodist College, which I'm pretty sure is the earliest iteration of Auburn University. He went for one year, and then he later enrolled in the University of Georgia. He would graduate from UGA in 1871 with a degree in civil engineering. So he was just a fresh, young college student when the first horse-led streetcar starts running in Atlanta. Lucky man, that very same year of graduation, he gets his first job with the Atlanta and Pacific Railroad. After that job, he would work in Georgia, surveying a line from Lula to Athens. In 1875, he actually moves to Atlanta. This is not shocking because he had a lot of family here. His father's cousins were some of the earliest settlers in what is now the Inman Park area, and his other distant relative, August Troop, is famous for his home being used as the headquarters of General Sherman during the Battle of Atlanta. Atlanta treated him well as he married Annie Bright Woodruff in 1876, who, yes, is one of those Woodruffs. Her brother, Ernest, would lead the investment group that purchased Coca-Cola from the Candlers in 1919. So Joel and Annie would marry, and they'd go on to have six children. In the city, Joel and his brother would form a company called EF and Joel Hurt, which was a real estate and insurance firm. Um, at some point, his brother moves to New York, and James Lowe becomes a new business partner. He sells that company and then organizes the Atlanta Building and Loan Association. By 1882, he forms the Atlanta Home Insurance Company. I could be here for another five minutes talking about all these insurance companies that he had. The man was just definitely a serial business starter. By 1886, though, Joel Hurt forms the East Atlanta Land Company. And I know I've mentioned this before. I can't quite remember which episode. At over 40 episodes, and I'm getting older, this is going to start happening. Anyway, the purpose of this corporation was to purchase and develop more than 130 acres for Atlanta's first suburb. Sound familiar? This is one, two years max, away from Peter's failed attempt at the very same thing. There's no question in my mind that Joel watched Richard's successes and failures and was able to tweak things in his favor. He would name this neighborhood after his friend and financial backer Samuel Inman. Yes, Inman Park, if you did not know, was the first planned residential neighborhood of Atlanta and is currently one of the most coveted places to live in. I think we can safely say Hurt got it right. I keep saying this, but I promise an episode of Inman Park is coming soon. But in order to lure people away from Atlanta proper, he needed transportation. Just like Peters, he owned a streetcar company. But the Atlanta and Edgewood Street Railway Company was a little different. This was electric. 
1889, the very first electric streetcar line ran from downtown Atlanta up Edgewood Avenue, just one block from the mansions of Inman Park. By 1891, Hurt consolidated six streetcar lines in the city to form the Atlanta Consolidated Street Railway Company. And the company would also be manned by Ernest and Robert Woodruff of Coca-Cola, and eventually Joel would sell to Henry Atkinson, who would morph the entire company into an early iteration of Georgia Power. The same year, Hurt would organize the Kirkwood Land Company with the intention of creating Druid Hills. Talked about that a lot more in episode 39 on the Olmsted Linear Parks, but it was in that same year that he would incorporate the Commercial Traveler Savings Bank. Two years later, that would be reorganized as the Trust Company of Georgia, and that, my friends, is how SunTrust Bank was born. If you're familiar with downtown Atlanta, you'll know the Equitable Building, especially because we just took the sign off and it was kind of a little bit of a riot here, (laughs) but many don't know that the one you see today is its second form. The first equitable building was constructed by Joel Hurt in 1892 using architect John Root. When it opened, it was the first fireproof building in the South and the tallest office building in Atlanta, and it held that title for five years. They actually demolished it in 1971, so a lot of people probably remember the first one. In 1911, he built the Atlanta Theater, which was the first fireproof theater building in the South. And in 1926, he would finally finish construction on the Hurt Building, which at the time was the 17th largest building in the world. My how times have changed. So let's recap. Hurt builds Atlanta's first skyscraper. Two decades later, a world-renowned office building. But guess what? The Hurt Building is still around today. It's at 50 Hurt Plaza in downtown Atlanta. Joel Hurt came of age in a time after the Civil War. So we assume that he'd be free of claim of owning slaves. But Hurt was actually one of the biggest owners and users of the convict leasing system in the South. If you don't know what that term means, this is a great time to go back and listen to episode 35, which was all about convict leasing and the largest user, Chattahoochee Brick. In the 1890s, Joel Hurt owns the Georgia Iron and Coal Company, which is providing coal for trains, among many other things in the state. In 1895, he purchases a group of bankrupt labor mines and furnaces from the former governor, Joseph Brown. In this transaction, he becomes the owner of over a 100 convicts, almost all African-American. In the following years, he grows that number to several hundred. Hertz camps were, not to get into the weeds, but notorious for their mistreatment of convicts, pretty much disregarding the allotted time they're supposed to work. It was supposed to be just sun up to sundown, um, and Joel Hurt would work them pretty much all day long and then kind of be like, well, you know, they're in the mines. We don't know if it's daytime or nighttime. Many died under the watch of his supervisors, and then by 1908, the state of Georgia was investigating putting a ban on the practice, and Joel Hurt would actually testify at the state capitol in what is described as a very unapologetic way. Richard Peters passes in 1889, and Joel Hurt lived until 1926. Both men are buried at Oakland Cemetery, which, not to keep waxing poetic about my love of cemeteries, but this is why places like Oakland are so important. You can visit both men within the same 48-acre space and share these stories. The tales of their early years, their businesses, their buildings, streetcars, neighborhoods, and then the dark side of many Southerners at the time. 
These are just two of the men who formed the early city of Atlanta, and I think that knowing them and their story only helps to know the city even better. Thank you guys for listening. Remember, if you're enjoying the podcast, please leave a rating or a review. I also have my mini episodes ready for release in August. Those are only for Patreon contributors. If you have not signed up yet, the website is www.patreon.com forward slash archive Atlanta. Bonus points to anyone who visits the graves of Joel or Richard, as I have not had a chance to get to Oakland this week, and I would love to see them. So remember to hashtag archive Atlanta. Hope everyone has a great weekend. I'll talk to you next week.